You're listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and deep calling to deep. Today's message is brought to you by Lead Pastor Kim Foreman. So the name of the sermon, it could have several names, but this name is the Spirit of Lawlessness. So all the words that we got this morning, the way God's moving, just kind of confirms the word. Even... um, a post that that Holly did yesterday it was just confirmation of the word that Lord had given me. I couldn't get away all week. He kept talking to me about the spirit of lawlessness. And you know, I want to say this before I begin: is how thankful are we that we're we're under the new covenant? Amen. You know, it doesn't matter what's happening in the world. The biggest thing I want to say before I go into this teaching this morning, this sermon, is that. We live in the better way. We're not only have Jesus' blood to make much of and cleanses and, um, and triumphed over all principalities and rulers of darkness, but we also have the Holy Spirit. And, you know, John 16, 13 says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak for himself, but he, whatsoever he shall hear, he shall see speak. And he will show us things to come. And that's the promise that we have of the Holy Spirit. And in a time of such deception and such corruption that we are so blessed that we know even today corporately with what God said, what was the heart cry of the congregation? That is so important as a congregation that we're crying out, God, give us clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, we want to be able to stand before you. And so this this message this morning goes right along with that because, you know, again, y'all hear me say it all the time, and I'll say it again in the sermon, our hearts are deceitfully wicked, and we cannot know them. And so if we are completely yielded, Lord, I know, just like when Holly prayed, that our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. It really is. The only thing good in any of us is Jesus Christ. And so we thank God. But again, you know, pride is we all fight pride continually we all fight deception the enemy is so deceptive so you know there are many things that exalt themselves against god knowledge for one is something that we fight all the time knowledge that exalts itself above god so i want to take you to a place to just get a deeper understanding and i'll tell you i'm provoked in this message and i'd much rather give you a message that i walked out and i've gone through Um, you know, lots of uh, uh, the fire burning things out in me, but I'm going to tell you, this is one that I fear and trembling. To pervert, I want to talk about to to pervert, is to take that which is holy and make it unholy. That is Satan's purpose. You know, the scripture that says a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. In other words, sin, um, like leaven, can grow and affect everything. Like a fly in your soup, it ruins the entire pot, doesn't it? Or you ever get a nice glass of iced tea to find a bug floating in it? You just have to go pour it out? No, I'll drink it. (laughs) That's a man for you, you know. But like Eve in a perfect garden, in a perfect world, a serpent, a crafty, beguiling serpent changed everything. What God makes clean, Satan's job, his purpose is to pollute. All he has to do is get you to believe a lie for truth. 
He always, it's always here. To pervert, to change, to twist, to get you to question, to reason, instead of just obey. Once you just start reasoning and you get a word from God and you start reasoning, well, maybe he didn't, maybe he didn't mean that. Any of y'all ever done that? Where you begin to question, oh, maybe it wasn't for that time. And you begin to reason. And then what happens is knowledge exalts itself against God. And then the game's on because the enemy has got you to begin to, did I really hear that? Was I really to do that? And when that happens, you just lost your seated dominion and you gave him your garden. I think about the story. This is a very different story. It's in 1 Kings 13. It's a long chapter. I'm going to go through it. If you want to turn to it, I'm going to kind of paraphrase because it is a long chapter. This is an unusual story, but there are many unusual stories in the Old Testament. But this is a story when, um, and it's about Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was one of Solomon's officials. Uh, he was an Ephraimite, and he was king of Israel in the north. And um, Rehoboam was over the south, which was Solomon's son. And so Jeroboam wasn't even, you know, in the lineage really, but he was given the kingdom. And God actually told him if he'd follow in the footsteps of David that God was going to bless him. And, of course, he didn't. I mean, we know in the Old Testament, thank God for Jesus, because nobody could do everything that needed to be done. And they continually failed. And God's mercy continually showed up and showed off. Um, and, again, like I said in the beginning, we live in a better day. But here's the story. The story is, is that in 1 Kings, um, Jeroboam... It doesn't want all his people in Israel to travel to Jerusalem to worship God. So he sets up altars so they won't have to go because he's afraid he's going to lose them if they end up going to Jerusalem and they're going to go to Rehoboam instead of stay underneath him. So he erects an altar. And, of course, it's an altar to false gods. And, um, and this way he tells them that these are the gods that delivered them out of Egypt, which we know is a lie. And uh, so it is a false altar. It's a altar of, um, it's in Bethel. And so what happens is God sends a prophet from Judah to go to um, Israel and to point his finger. And so this in 1 Kings 13, 1 through 2, Behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. I guess there wasn't a good prophet up there in Israel for God to send. So he sends them from Judah. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he will sacrifice the priest of the high places who burn incense on you. And men's bones shall be burned on you. So this is an anonymous man of God, used in an important way. He demonstrated that one does not need to be famous to be significantly used by God. And so what happens is he points to the altar. Now, this, this uh, Jeroboam didn't know that this prophecy was 350 years in the making. I mean, he thought, oh, it could happen any day. He's like, get him, seize him. And he puts his finger towards him, and all of a sudden his hand withers. 
And then this prophet, then, then when his hand wither, you know, withers, then he says, look, man of God, he realizes he's a man of God, and he says, will you pray for my hand? <laughs> and he does, and his hand is completely healed. Well, he's got his attention now, right? But the prophecy is surely the altar shall be split apart and the ashes on it shall be poured out. This is a convincing sign because this actually happens at that moment. So not only with the withering of the hand, but it does split. And so um, what goes on to happen, then the king, uh, I mean, Jeroboam, says, hey, just come to my house. Then he wants to reward him with something, and he wants to feed him a good meal. And the prophet tells to him, Oh, no, I can't. God has said I couldn't. And again, the devil and God can't sit at the same table. I mean, you know, here you got Jeroboam's. I've got this big altar he's just uh, erected to Beth in Bethel. And so the prophet says, God told me I'm not to go eat and drink. I'm not to come in your house and refuses the reward. And so what goes on? So he's worn out. He, you know, leaves and says he cannot do that. And then on his journey... Uh, and this is 1 Kings 13, 7 through 10, where, you know, he's offered to give him a reward and all of that. And it goes on, the man of God's disobedience is in 13, 11 through 17. Here's the old prophet. There's an old prophet in Bethel invites the man of God to dinner. Now, an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king, and their father said to him, Which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God had went, who had came from Judah. Then he said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it, and uh, went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you nor go in you. Neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there nor return by going the way you came. Hmm. So probably once a prophet of the Lord, this man was. But had he had fallen also? out of his holiness before God and had he gotten over into also like Jeroboam had he gotten over into idolatry probably so and then it goes on to say that in um, 1 Kings 13 8-19 the prophet from Bethel lies to the man of God from Judah and he says I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat and drink water. He was lying to him. So he went back with him, and he ate bread in his house, and he drank water. And so as he found the man of God sitting under the oak, you know, he was worn out from whatever had just happened. And what does Satan do? Satan always attacks when we're at our weakest. That is the time, because he's a bully, and that's what he does. When we're worn out and just beaten up, that's when he's going to come in the hardest. Um, and he says that an angel had spoke to him. Perhaps this was true. Perhaps it was a deceiving angel, because we know Satan appears as an angel of light, right? Um, so he went back with him, and he ate bread in his house. And then, you know, no matter how natural and seductive this enticement is, it was the duty of the man of God to resist it. 
He had a word from God to guide his actions and should receive no other word except through dramatic and direct confirmation by God himself. His failure at this point ended his usefulness as a man of God. So I would wonder what was really in this prophet's heart, this young prophet's heart. Did he esteem the prophets more than he esteemed God? Because he had a direct word, don't. And yet he did, he believed that older prophet. And then it goes on to 1 Kings 13, 20 through 22. All of a sudden the older prophet, prophet begins to really prophesy to him and tell him, thus saith the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the, of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back and you ate bread and you drank water in the place of which God said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tombs of your father. So now he prophesies. Okay, so but he goes ahead and eats. The young prophet leaves and he is attacked by a lion and the lion kills him now though here's the thing that's so strange everybody knew the lion did not eat him and nor the donkey did the lion eat the donkey so the lion and the donkey just stand by the corpse of the man of God and everybody sees this they know this is the hand of God because it's contrary to the lion's nature and so the older prophet goes and he has his sons um, take the body of the prophet and then he puts them in his tomb. And he tells his son that when he dies, for him to be placed with him. And he realizes what he has done, this is a result of. Um, it's a very sad story, but it's a very sobering story that when we get the word of God, we better know as we know. Can we be tripped up? Look at this story. God didn't change his mind. And you know, okay, so we have the king, Jeroboam, was what? Okay, man's authority. He was the king. And then you have the prophet who you think is God's authority because the Old Testament prophets are really the oracle of God. And so the younger prophet must esteem or have a root of rebellion somewhere in his heart to believe him over what God said. It cost him greatly. It cost him his life. Um, that's a, that is a very, very sobering story. And God led me to that, and I just like, okay, Lord. That's where when we get a word of the Lord, obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen. You know, false prophets have ever been the worst enemies of the true prophets. And all it takes to go over into falsehood is your heart to get unclean, for you to get into sin. It just takes a little bit, a little bit of leaven, just like what I talked about. So we don't know what happened to the older prophet, but he got into sin. So he died a terrible death. He's ensnared. But ultimately, I say again, he had to have some type of seed of rebellion in his heart. So he must have justified have we all justified? I have justified. I'm really looking at myself in all of this. God's told me to do something. Maybe I thought, well, maybe he didn't quite mean that. You know, again, what I said earlier, uh, maybe it wasn't for this time. Or, So I'm going back over my life saying, okay, God, show me any place I have disobeyed. 
justified. Well, I did not eat at Bethel. That might have been what he said. Well, I didn't eat with the king, um, so I obeyed. But then he disobeyed with the older prophet. So it's the layers of deception, the way the enemy will come in. Well, you obey God. You did, you did what he told you to do. But did he? Uh, it reminds me again of that scripture about our hearts being invariably wicked. Satan knows what seeds that he has planted in each of our hearts and how to activate them and even access them. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, the heart is deceitfully above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Deception is a scary thing. Why? Because it is deceptive. A person who is deceived believes with all his heart that he is right when in reality he is wrong. Y'all ever had that happen? Where you really thought you were right to really find out you were wrong? Jesus repeatedly warned against deception in the Gospels. He warned four times to beware of it. Matthew 24, 4, take heed that no one deceives you. His words have stood for thousands of years and we would be wise not to neglect his counsel. We need to ask two important questions. Number one, what is the root cause of deception? Number two, why is deception able to run its course unchecked? We all know people and we all know ourselves when we've been deceived that sometimes we're deceived for a long period of time. And usually it's in our brokenness. That's why when I taught a couple of weeks ago about the alabaster box, it's when we are broken, God can speak. When we are broken, the pride's not there. When we're broken, we're saying, whatever, whatever, God, do whatever. Let me, let me be free. How do I get free, God? When we're in that place, then God can show us our deception. He can show us our hearts. Um, disobedience to divine authority is a major root. And I want to say this, old school, some of us old schoolers, we used to teach on spiritual authority. Spiritual authority is not taught anymore. That is a fearful thing because we see a whole generation of rebellious people because they don't even understand the principles in the Word of God. And so we're not teaching it, and we wonder why people are being deceived. We wonder why people are rebellious because they don't know the importance of spiritual authority. And lawlessness is without law. Well, who is the God of chaos? Satan. And without laws and boundaries, we wouldn't have gravity. I mean, God holds the whole world together, even in scientific laws, with boundaries and laws and order. It's the same way His Word, His Word keeps us being under authority. And God, again, Moses being under authority. You know, authority is a very important thing. Even if it's wicked, if it's wicked authority, God uses wicked authority to bring us to Him. And you know, He didn't drive out the Canaanites many times because they were doing a good work. And we all know it. If everything was rosy, we wouldn't come to the Lord. It's when we are in dire straits, when all hell's breaking loose, that we usually fall on our face and say, God, it's just human nature, isn't it? So, so the prophet did not change, not to the king man's authority, or to the older prophet who deceived him and would appear to be God's authority. His disobedience and reasoning cost him his entire life. Too often, we lack the core understanding of sin. And y'all know I teach a lot on sin, rebellion, and iniquity. And there are different levels of sin. Sin is you miss the mark. Y'all, we do it probably every day in some way. 
So it's important that we pray before we go to sleep. Okay. Rebellion is, I'm going to go ahead and sin, and I know it's sin, but I think it's worth it. And you know there's going to be consequences, but you go ahead and you do it. So rebellion is what? As a sin of witchcraft. And then iniquity. Iniquity is worse because you are actually going against God's uh, absolutes. Like God is um, um, like abortion. Abortion's a sin, but when you say um, that life doesn't begin in the womb, you're going against God's absolute as the creator and puts the child in the womb. When you say homosexuality is a, is a sin, but it's iniquity when you say, I was born that way, when God created Adam and Eve. So it's going against God's absolutes of who God, God's character and what God's created makes it iniquitous, makes it far worse of a sin. But so let's just talk about sin. The Bible declares, 1 John 3, 4, sin is lawlessness. The condition of being without law because of ignorance or because you violate it. Sometimes we just don't know. That's why it's really important to know God's word and know God's principles. Lawlessness means not to submit to the law and authority of God to put self-will above God's will. I love John Bevere's book called Undercover. He uses Luke 14, 15. Who would eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb? He started by saying, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at the supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. And that's Luke 14, 16 through 17. The man giving the supper represents God the Father. And the servant is Jesus himself. And Father's will is spoken. Come, for everything's ready. And the New Testament time in Hebrews 1, uh, 1 through 2 says, Those who preach and teach and write are his ambassadors. They're his people. This announcement is directed towards those who are already invited. That is, those in the church. Not unbelievers. He's inviting believers to the marriage supper. However, these people begin to make excuses, not heeding the call. The first one says, I have a fifth of vodka, a few joints, and a party to attend, and I really want to be there. Could you please excuse me? <laughs> the second one says, hey, I want an all-expense trip to Las Vegas, and on top of that, I have $5,000. I'm going to hire me some prostitutes, and I'm going to gamble at the casino. So please excuse me for not coming. The third one says, I have fallen in love with my personal assistant, and we are taking a trip together, but uh, don't tell my wife we're headed for Hawaii. She thinks I'm on a business trip. Can you please excuse me? And I know that's exaggerating, but is that what they say? If you read your Bible, you'll find the real responses. But the first one said to the servant, I bought a piece of ground. That's not a sin, right? We all buy land, correct? The answer is no, it's not a sin. We all do it. But let's look at it again at what it said. I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Mm -hmm. So buying land is not the sin. But when the interest in the possessions become more important than immediate submission to the word of God, it falls under the core definition of sin. This is where I've been provoked. It is lawlessness. It does not submit to God's authority. 
The next fellow wasn't embarking on a gambling trip and hiring a prostitute, but he had bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test. Uh, I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Is buying oxen or necessary equipment for our livelihood a sin? Of course not. We all have to do it. But when industry or business becomes more important than instantly obeying the word or the will of God, it's sin. Remember Adam did not hire a prostitute in the Garden of Eden. He just simply did not submit to what God had told him. The third one said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Is taking a wife a sin? Of course not. However, when the desire to please a mate becomes more important than submitting to the will of God, it's sin. Uh -oh. Ouch. I know, Bob. Sorry. <laughs> Again, let's recall the garden for a moment. Eve was deceived, but it was a different story for Adam. Adam was not deceived. 1 Timothy 2.14 refers to the nature of Adam's sin. For just as through disobedience of the one, the many were made sinners. Adam disobeyed, point blank. He chose Eve over submitting to the authority of God. This is sin, and as a result of Adam's sin, many were made sinners. Or we can say, many were made lawless. Jesus said that about these men who made very polite excuses, but did not submit to the calling and the authority of God. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. That's Luke 14, 24. How sobering. That is sobering. These men would not be permitted to dine at the wedding supper in which they had previously held an honorary invitation. They were barred from the marriage supper of the land, not because of sexual misconduct, not because of drugs or alcohol abuse, but because of a simple disobedience to the word of God. Why should this surprise us? If we think it through, was it not Adam's disobedience that brought the greatest consequences of judgment upon mankind? Again, obedience is better than sacrifice. And again, what do we sing? What did God say to us today about holiness? You know, so often we really are not looking at things. You know, we're in justification. On, and, um, but there's another parable that's really an eye-opener, too, about the two sons in the vineyard. The father went to his first son and told him, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. And the son replied, I will not. However, later he changed his mind, didn't he? And he left what he was doing and he worked in the vineyard. And then the father approached the second son and asked the same thing. And he said, oh, I will, sir. And yet he never went. Then Jesus asked which of the two would the father have wanted. And they replied, the first. And then Jesus went right to the heart of the matter. And Jesus said to the group he addressed, and he answered correctly, you're right. I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. That's a strong word. Matthew 21, 28-31. We all as parents hope that our children with great joy will do what we ask them to do. But we all know what it's like when they say no, but then they, they do comply. Yet this parable is showing these leaders that the core meaning of sin is ultimately disobedience to the authority of God. It is not confirmed, it's not uh, confined to just adultery and murder, theft. The leaders were confident in themselves. 
And this is where we got to check ourselves. Are we confident in ourselves? Because they weren't ensnared in gross sins. We call them the big ones, the big sins. However, with their limited definition of sin, they were easily deceived into committing what they profaned to avoid so diligently. So sinner disobedience to divine authority is still a major sin. Adultery, stealing, murder, they all go against God's authority too. I'm not making light of that. But we call these, again, the big sins. Yet let's not lose sight that all manner of sin destroys, not just the ones we label as the big ones. Jesus warns us in Matthew 24, 12-13, because lawlessness abounds, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. We have taught and believed that all you have to do is confess as a sinner's prayer and you are ensured a secure place in heaven. We have neglected to place an emphasis on commitment to his commands. The incomplete gospel message can lead many astray and we have to be careful. We call that greasy grace. We've all heard that term, right? Causes them to make light of, uh, you know, make light of disobedience. Jesus said those, those who will be in heaven are those who confess and do the will of God. Thus keeping the commands of God. You know, we know thou shalt not what? Have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make uh, unto thee graven images. Thou not shalt take the Lord God uh, name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, honor the father and their mother, and thou shalt not uh, kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness uh, against thy neighbor, and thou shalt not covet. We know those, but if you look in the Old Testament, oh, there's so many thou shalt not and shouldn't, that thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. This grace has been given to us to empower us to obey what he demands of us. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably. Grace empowers us to serve God in an acceptable manner which is in coordinates with his will. This is why it's such a sobering scripture. Lord, have we not prophesied, cast out demons, and done miracles in your name? An unbeliever cannot cast out a demon in Jesus' name. Um, he's addressing this in the church. Jesus says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's the term. Therefore, they have a lifestyle similar to those in the parable of the marriage supper. They have developed a pattern of lifestyle, placing their agenda, their pleasure, their plans before the commands of God. They obey what fits their plans. They are unaware of the present lawlessness. This is a shock and an agony of deception. It really is. John Bevere tells the story of never really believing that his sister was sick only to get home and she was dead. That was a rude awakening where you said, no, nah, she's really not that bad. She'll be okay. And you come home and she's passed away. He tells the story of having a vision of all these people standing at the pearly gates of heaven and all of them waiting for her to be said, come in, blessed people. And what ends up happening is Jesus stands there and tells them, I do not know you, and turns them away. And from that, this book was written about the spirit of lawlessness. So we're always thinking about all this other deception. We better look within ourselves. 
We better look at our plans and our agenda. If we have idols, you know, I've taught a lot on idols in the last three years to this house. It's anything before God. It's something we have to continually look at because we do place other things before God. And we've got to make sure he's number one. Um, God is looking for children whose heart yearn to walk in obedience. No matter what area of life it may touch, we as believers must delight in doing his will. Solomon in Ecclesiastes, the last chapter, says, Fear God and keep his commands, for this is man's all. This is a hard message. And again, it's like I said, I'm looking at myself in every way. So where am I deceived? Am I on a road that leads to destruction? I think I'm on the path of the Lord. Have I missed God when he's told me to do something and I justified it? Said it was out of timing. God, give me another way. Give me, show me your mercy while your mercy may be found so I can go back and correct that which I put my own agenda. Or what was, oh, I'm so busy this week. I can't possibly do that. How many of us are just busy? Just really busy. And so a lot of times we're not even hearing because we are so busy. But if I present a truth and I yield my heart to God, and I ask Jesus as my intercessor, thank you that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession. And the Holy Spirit can reveal all truth to me. God's will is to save and to deliver. And as long as we lay pride at the altar and keep putting pride at the altar, it might be a day-to-day -day thing, um, I think he'll keep us from self-deception. Even this morning how sweet he was before knowing this is a hard message to deliver. What did he tell us? He led us in asking him corporately, and if a one can send a thousand to flight and two can send ten thousand to flight, hey guys, how awesome is that? And so we were able to corporately pray, creating us clean hands and a pure heart. So as we stand in the last days, it's imperative that we preach truth, that we preach repentance. It's a big deal, guys. We've got a dying world going to hell in a handbag. We've got to preach repentance. We've got to make much of the blood of Jesus. And, you know, I'm going to end with this this morning because I have a whole lot more that I'm going to continue next week because this is a really weighty, weighty. But last week something shifted in the spirit. I want to tell you what shifted in the spirit. Um, you know, when I got up and I said that this was a prophetic church. And how does that line up with this? I'll tell you because that's what keeps us. Because we are in a new covenant. We are filled with the Holy Ghost. And when I stood up here, because we've done a, we're in the land of Canaan. We're taking this, when we bought this property, there are things that we're going to overcome in this land because God wants us to be a lighthouse. He wants us to bring his kingdom into this realm. And so to be prophetic is what? To be filled with his spirit, to be led by his spirit. What happened this morning? He moved. What happened last Sunday morning? He moved. The worship was phenomenal. We were able to encounter God and prophecy began to flow. And what happened was I stood up here and I said, we are a prophetic house. He told me we were a prophetic house. Why is that important? Because we don't want to go against what God placed in us. All we have to look at the history of restoration and what was birthed in restoration from where y'all all came from, the warfare, the plague of COVID, the death, the way y'all all pulled together and from a very hard place, God birthed a new work. And when you look at all that happened before restoration was even birthed, there's no doubt this is a prophetic house. When you look at the assemblies of God, how was it birthed? It was birthed off of Zusa Street. 
When we look at community church, way back the history was that was birth off a Pentecostal man having an encounter with the Lord and get the revelation that God is a triunion God, not just one God. And from that, community church was eventually birthed. So what was the prophetic seed? It was a prophetic seed. It was birthed to revelation. And in the way times are now, we need to be a church that's led by the Spirit. We need to hear the Word of God. And so I want to share a little bit about what prophetic means and why it's so important in this house. And let me tell you, the enemy will try to buffet us. The enemy will try to get us to go over into religion. Religion kills. Religion kills the prophetic. Jezebel is a religious spirit. It will try to kill the true prophet. It will infiltrate, will try false prophecy. There's so many things that we will war against. But if we'll stay true to how God birthed this and we'll stay true to the design and we continually wrestle. I'm not going to say there's not warfare. Of course there is. But we got to wrestle so that the enemy don't come in and pervert. So I've wrestled with the altar. We've wrestled with the altar for three years. Because I'm going to tell you, this altar has to be holy. And, and the enemy wants us to go back into tr traditionalism. The enemy wants us to have good programs. He wants us to have entertainment. Just like what I talked about last week. I don't want a program. I want to hear and move. It's that simple. If I hear and move, then it's going to be anointed. But if I try to work something up, it's going to be another dead work, and it's not going to bring forth fruit. It might look good, but it's going to die and fizzle. But to be prophetic means, just like this morning, we welcome in the Holy Spirit. We begin to move. What did he want? He wants us to have clean hearts. He doesn't want us to see. That's our hearts. And so I'm going to go more into the lawlessness next week and, um, because it's deep. And it does make you really look at yourself in many ways. But prophetic means that you are uh, to be God's mouthpiece. That you have God's perspective. We need God's perspective in this hour more than ever. Yeah. To be prophetic is to bring revelation where there's no revelation. You know many churches don't have revelation. You have many assemblies of God churches that aren't even moving in the gifts. Yet they were birthed in the gifts. But here's the thing that happens. The enemy will send in someone that is a Pharisee or even a teacher gifted leader that will kill the move of God. Because again, when you are a teacher gifted, it's a wonderful gift. But it doesn't believe in, um, it has to be shown in the word. You have to prove it uh, scientifically. Well, how does this line up? And they'll kill a move of God. And so you've got to be very careful unless God's gotten a hold of that teacher gifted pastor. Um, he won't believe in, oh, you, that happened really? You had what? You encountered with God? Mm -hmm. And they'll walk away from you and think you're crazy. <laughs> and that's scary because it can kill, okay? Because religion kills. I mean, religion crucified Christ. Not that God didn't allow it, but religion crucified Christ. And so what we have to fight against here is I want to bring in the old, but if we're a prophetic house and want the Holy Ghost, we got to bring in the new. we got to bring in what's anointed. Because if we can't even bring in the old, that makes us feel good. Sometimes it's not anointed. And again, we're into the new. We need the new wineskin. So we're going to have to move in ways. We've got a harvest out there that's dying. We've got a harvest that we've got to reach, and we're going to have to do it God's way. We try to do it the old traditional way. That's the thing. They're not in the house. They're not in the church. They don't believe. So we got to hear and move, and that way we will be able to go out and get the harvest. But being prophetic means I'm going to hear and move. I'm going to have my, my, my ear to the Lord's heart. Mm -hmm. And listen, oh, 
My yoke is easy. My burden is light. When you do it his way, it's easy. I have done a lot of dead works. I don't know about y'all, but I have done some dead works. I don't want no more dead works. Because when we do it his way, it is easy. And he just sends people. And they just walk through the door. And, and God draws them by his spirit. And we don't have to work it up so hard. I'm not saying it's not hard work serving God's people. It is. But to be, again, we need the revelation of the Lord. And that's prophetic. Uh, to be prophetic is to declare that when we declare, just like last week, when I'm telling you, I dreamed all night we were a prophetic church. We were a prophetic church. When I got up here and I spoke it, something broke. Because I've been wrestling a religious spirit for a while. And when I got up here and I said it in, in the leadership role of authority, because these places as pastor, I said, we are a prophetic house. It shifted. Bob knew it shifted. I saw the shift of prophecy flowing again and feeling the spirit of the Lord flow again. And then Dorothy wrote me later and she said, when you said that, it broke, it shifted the atmosphere. So we got to stay in the vein of the prophetic. That makes sense. Um, and again, when the prophetic, when we as a lighthouse, knowing that we are a prophetic church, are going to be filled with the Holy Ghost, we're going to be moved by the Spirit of the Lord, we won't, where there's freedom, there is the Spirit of the Lord. And what happens is in our little place here, when we're making prophetic declarations from the heart of God, just like what we did today, that is a beachhead, that is a powerhouse. So as we came in this place in Little Cypress, and we begin to cry out to God for a clean heart and clean hand, listen, it affects the whole area. Because while we're prophetic, we're making a prophetic declaration, God is speaking. So his word will not come back void. So he spoke this morning. That's powerful. Um, also, to be prophetic is to manifest the passion and the emotion of the heart of God. That's not a dead church. That's a passionate church. That's right? right? It's to uproot, it's to pull down. I guess I'm called to warfare. Bob is called to warfare, but what we got to root up and we got to pull down before we can what? Build and plant. Mm -hmm. So some of what we're doing at this north gate is we are in Canaan and we're hitting some giants. And the first one we've hit is a Pharisee spirit. Mm -hmm. And it's wanting the old to come into the new. It's wanting the teacher gifting, which we have many great teachers. But we've got to be careful. It's got to be a great balance. Bring forth the word, but we better have the prophetic. We better be balanced because the teacher will kill the prophetic move. We were blessed, many of us, to come out of community. Community was a prophetic house. But what happened is we continually had a teacher-gifted pastor, and thank God the Holy Ghost got a hold of him later in his life. And he became one seeking the supernatural and the prophetic. But if you remember, we'd have start, stop, start, stop. Revival, then it'd be dead. Revival, then we'd get a little touch of it. Woo-hoo! And then it'd be dead again. It'd be dead. So teacher, the teacher, the Pharisee spirit, killing the move of God. Because you got people going, hmm, how does that line up with Scripture? You know, oh, going down in the spirit, show me that in the word. You know, I mean, come on, that's a buffet in the spirit. Unbelief. And people judging things are, I've never seen Holy Ghost laughter. Listen, I have been in services with Holy Ghost laughter. There ain't nothing funner than I've ever been in like that. And oh my gosh, people getting set free, people getting healed, and people on the floor laughing uncontrollably till their tummies hurt. That was Jesus. 
I mean, you just look at the old Brownsville, what happened there for five years. People jerking and moving and all kinds of things happening, but it was God. But what would the analytical and the teacher gifting do? Hmm. I bet that's the devil. Yeah. yeah. So I bring that before you to tell you that we are a prophetic house. But the other thing that we have to do is we always have to preach Jesus and we always also have to preach truth and sin and lawlessness looks at many things. And if our agenda, I don't want to be one of those that's invited to the marriage supper, but because I'm busy, I miss the call of God. And obedience, we have to obey. And so I'm going to challenge you this week. I'm going to challenge you, ask God, Lord, is there a place where I've not obeyed you? Is there a place that you could make again? He is great about bringing a path right back before you. Is there a place where I'm supposed to say something or do something that I have not done and I just justified it or it just didn't fit into my time frame at that moment? Give me a chance to revisit that and forgive me for disobeying, disobeying and give me another chance to obey. So I'm going to close in prayer. Father, I thank you for what you said this morning to us. Father, I thank you that you planted in our hearts and as we go forth today, Lord, and all week, Father, again, obedience is better than sacrifice. God, we want to obey you. We want to obey, Father, what you've written in your word. And we want to obey those things that you've spoken to us, Father, to do. And, Father, those places where we disobeyed or, or Father, we've reasoned it away. Holy Spirit, bring it back to our remembrance yes. so that we can obey and we can repent for disobeying. Lord, we don't want to be lawless. We want to have clean hands and a pure heart. Yes. And so, Father, we come before you as a congregation. And, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for showing up today. We thank you for showing up last week. We thank you that we don't want to come and just have a good church service, God. We want to have a Holy Ghost encounter. We want to hear from you. We want to feel you. We want to be have an encounter with you, the one and only. That is the lover of our heart and our bridegroom. And so, Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you that, Lord, you have created us to seek you, you created us, to, Father, truly uh, hear and move according to your spirit. Yes. And, Lord, we thank you for that, not only corporately, but in our personal lives. So just, Holy Ghost, have your way this week. Show us places of disobedience. Show us places where we have put our own agendas ahead of your agenda. And, God, let us come to that place where you're number one. And you put our house in order. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. If you would like to watch our message live or looking for more information about our church, visit us. Follow us on Facebook, Restoration Church.